Welcome back. This week, the deranged duo is going to teach you a thing or two about going to your first tournament. My name is Josh, and welcome to the Gamers Guild. So, today it's a little bit different. Um, first of all, it's just two of us, the deranged duo, myself, Josh, and I am joined by Kenny, my co-host, both here and in our other podcast, Advanced R&D. How are you doing, Kenny? I'm doing great. It's really weird to record something just the two of us, because usually we have at least one other person joining us. Yeah, so it's going to be like our regular talks, like in person, where we talk about a bunch of dumb stuff, but now people are going to be privy to it, and it's going to be a little weird, maybe. Yeah, we've got a captive <laughs> audience. Uh, second of all, this might be short, which this statement may or may not get cut out uh, if it is or is not short. Because um, there's only two of us and, and there's really not a whole lot to talk about. The other parts of the cast aren't going to talk about anyway. But we wanted to kind of hit some highlights for specifically if you're if you're ready to move on to going to your first local event or traveling a little bit to another event. Um you know, semi-locally, like an hour away or something. What's some things to expect? What's some things to prep for? Uh, so you're not kind of caught off guard. You kind of have a, a starting point. So uh, particularly what we want to talk about is some stuff about uh, miniatures tournaments. Some people, you know, probably have gone to card tournaments or, you know, maybe even as a kid, maybe chess tournaments or, uh, other kind of tournaments. And uh, what we want to talk about is some of the, some of the things about going to a tournament for Marvel crisis protocol. If you've never been to a miniatures tournament, um, Kenny, you actually have a little bit of experience sort of more recently than I have anyway, transitioning from a minis tournament or from a, a different style tournament to minis tournaments. Uh, did you know, do you notice any differences between the two um, from where you came from? Yeah, there's definitely some differences. So for those who might not know, I am a Star Wars Destiny refugee. FFG uh, canceled the game, and I was looking for a new love in my life and ended up on Marvel Crisis Protocol, and I've I thought, loved it ever I, since. Never looking back. I thought you were uh, going to say you found me, and I got really upset when you didn't. Uh, I did find you, too. You're, you're yes. part of my love for Marvel Crisis Protocol. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Coming from a card-based game to a minis game, it's a, it's quite the difference. Because in those games, it's a lot faster rounds. Like you're you're playing your game, you're done, um, in like maybe thirty minutes tops. And then here, it's a lot of the times you're playing an hour and a half. And and two, with that, like you're standing a lot more. A lot of minis games and tables and stuff like that. At least at our shop and other shops I've been to. Um, there's not really chairs or like they're higher mounted tables. So you're on your feet a lot more, which was uh, a different, a different thing for me. I found myself uh, needing to wear better shoes, surprisingly to, to be able to stand in for longer. Cause a uh, part of the, the endurance is that physical endurance of your feet. Yeah. Um, I originally came from magic a long time ago and played war machine. And that's definitely a big part of it is uh, the rounds being a lot longer uh, was a really was really odd. It felt like I had a lot of time uh, once I started getting used to the game. 
Um, but yeah, definitely the biggest thing was having to stand at like a, you know, a waist high or taller table for an hour and a half at a time could be, can be really uh, hard at first. And I had the, I was just thinking the exact same thing. I also had to start wearing better shoes <laughs> and learning how to stand better <laughs> so that I could, I could keep my poor back uh, uh, feeling better. And like, I find myself at different times liking taller or shorter tables. Like when I played war machine, when there was four by four tables, shorter tables was great to get to like the middle. Uh, and now I like taller ones cause I don't want to bend over that table the whole entire time. Uh, and things don't need to be like w- with the way the sticks and stuff work in this game. You don't really need to like bend over the table and look straight down at your um, model. Like you would in that game. Cause you'd have to like do tape measures and stuff. So it's a little bit easier uh, going from this, going to this game uh, than it would be something like Warhammer or uh, War Machine, I think. Yeah, ergonomics are definitely a thing between footwear and even just your standing posture. I remember doing marching band in high school and then telling us like, hey, we tell you to stand in this position and uh, don't lock your knees because if you lock your knees for too long, you might pass out. And I can see that happening potentially to people in minis games as well if they're just not fully paying attention to their posture or anything like that. Yeah. And and some places will have like stools or something to sit on, but they're not the most comfortable most of the time. Like they're, they're doing their best, but their stools, like how, how comfortable can a stool really be? Um, but then you're, you're going to have to get up frequently to do stuff. Like you can't really play this game sitting down. Uh, most games will be played on probably a four by six table because that's what 40k wants to use. So a lot of uh, game shops just already have four by six tables. So you're playing on a table a little bit bigger than your uh, than the game is designed for. There's probably two two games per table, depending on where you go and how crowded it is. So you will have to do a little bit of reaching to get to the board sometimes. You know, there's a foot extra between you and your opponent that's not necessary. Which is good for like your your knickknacks and your uh, cards and stuff, but uh, it means that it, it's you're going to have to stand. So be prepared for that. Um, there's also a little bit of a different aspect. Like I've I'm currently playing Yu-Gi-Oh, which is a card game as well. Uh, and I, one of the things that I've always noticed I, when I came from Magic to War Machine, um, and I had this I've had this same experience in, in Marvel is that when I played card games. Um, I felt like a lot of the time you would expect your opponent to be either trying to like one up you somehow, or not necessarily cheat, but maybe not, maybe bend the rules or take advantage of something. Uh, cause it's a lot, even, even at competitive levels in this game or war machine, it felt a lot more competitive, even at a lower level playing card games because of just the way they play. Um, as opposed to playing miniatures games where, where both players are trying to win, but it's it feels a little bit more collaborative. A lot of the time, even a lot of the really competitive games I've played, like my opponent's not going to give me advice most of the time, <laughs> but no? uh, they probably aren't going to uh, rules shark me as hard as something in like a card game where that's kind of the game is a little bit of rule sharking. And they're probably more willing to like help you measure. So like if you need to measure something, they might be more willing to help you uh, 
to get the game moving and flowing. Um, and there's definitely a lot more of an aspect of like, uh, like the social contract where both players are trying to work together to keep an honest open board state. And part of that too, is the fact that there's no hidden information in the game, uh, which is a concept yeah. you, you only really see in card games, right? Like you got a hand of cards that you can't see from your opponent's end. And in this game, everything's open. So there's no real deception to be made outside of whatever your strategy is. And so outside players, of mystique and outside of mystique and her deception. Yeah. Ayo. So, <laughs> so most people are probably not trying to be super deceptive, which isn't to say lower your guard and let people deceive you. Uh, but it, I've, I've encountered far less of that in minis games, tournaments and Marvel tournaments in general than I ever have playing any um, card games. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, the board state in this game is just a lot more collaborative than I think it would be in any kind of card game. Like in a card game, you like you have your board state and that can sometimes affect your opponent's board state with maybe damage or whatever other mechanics the game has. But with Crisis Protocol, like you're moving your characters around, they're moving their characters around all on the same board. And so any kinds of measurements or anything like that, like your opponent wants to make sure, okay, like if you think this person's within maybe range four, like I want to make sure they're within range four as well and or not, because obviously they want to protect their characters. So there's a lot more collaboration that that can go into this game and a lot more discussion like, okay, like I'm placing this character within range four. Like this is my intention. Do you agree with that? Do you agree this character is it within range four? So that way, later down the line if you're measuring something again they you both are sort of under the same understanding like oh this character's in range four or like i was clearly meaning to put this character within range one of this objective token and if i didn't like we both i think were under the impression of that yeah like like stuff gets bumped on these t- like in a card game very very few card games i feel like position matters on the table Yu-Gi-Oh it does but not the like the slight variations like it can in Marvel where, you know, being an inch or two out can be a lot or even being, you know, a few millimeters out can be a huge deal. Um, so like in those games, positioning usually doesn't matter. So you just plop your card down and you're like, yeah, that card's on the table. And they're like, cool, that card's on the table. Neat. Um, in this game, obviously, like you said, you know, if you agree that it's within four, like range four, these two characters or you in this you in this um, terrain piece or, or an objective piece. It's important to have that kind of like openness because if something does get bumped or whether it be a model or a table or, you know, whatever, then, you know, both of you will know going forward, those two were in four. And even though they are not now, that was the intent and you can figure out how to, how to resolve it, whether they stay still or someone gets moved a little bit or whatever. Um, that's just part of the game. Uh, and, and you kind of have to make those kind of concessions with each other, which creates another level of being a little bit more open with your opponent. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I do like where we're going with this, but I think that some of where I would like to take this conversation will be hitting some of the later topics we want to talk about. So let's go ahead and get into our first, uh, our, our next topic, which is sort of like what we kind of call turn zero in a way. Uh, you know, turn zero being the things that happen before turn one. Typically, you're talking about, you know, character selection at the table or crisis selection, where you deploy. 
Um, but in this case, it's going to be before that. We're going to talk a little bit about list preparation. Like, like what do you need to expect when you're, what, what kind of list are you bringing? What should you do to make that list and, and, and kind of turn it in? Um, so in, you know, I'm going to harken back to card games again. In card games, you, you find out what your card limit is, the minimum amount, and you make sure that you have the minimum amount or the ma- and not more than the maximum amount of cards in your deck. And then at a bigger tournament, you'll probably have to fill out a deck list. And at smaller tournaments, you don't. <laughs> and your opponent doesn't know what it is until you start playing. Um, in this game, it's a little different. Whenever you go to an event, you're going to have, with Marvel, the typical event is going to be 10 characters, 10 tactics cards, and three each of secures and extracts. You know, the, the standard list that you find uh, in the updated core rule books. You, you, if you got the core set with the rule book, it might tell you eight tactics cards, but that's been updated to 10 tactics cards. Um, for a minis game tournament, you're probably going to be handed a sheet. This sheet, you're going to fill out your list. Uh, and then that list is going to be public information for everyone. Uh, so before you start a game, you're going to get a list sheet, most likely of what your opponent's bringing and you're going to get, you're going to give them yours. So you'll be able to know what your opponent's bringing. Um, so a little bit different than, you know, part of that open information. Again, you're not going to be blindsided by your, Oh, I didn't realize you had that guy on your list because you, you would have read it. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic with list building. Um, I think it depends on sort of the tournament and maybe your local meta as well. Like Nate showed up to uh, Adepticon recently and he is the, what was it that Sooner said? The uh, the breaker of chains. He's the people's champion, the breaker. The people's champion. champions. Um, and I think bigger events like that, uh, maybe you could expect more of what's been dubbed the online meta um, where it's whatever the TTS leagues are running, whatever's the, the latest and greatest. Like right now people are, all the rave is voodoo and black cat and juggernaut. Um, but I think for maybe smaller tournaments locally, it's probably easier to expect more of like the, the recent releases like I know in our recent tournament, the the Magic City Melee, I was all about playing Hulkbuster because he had just released like the week or two before or the month before or something like that. And uh, he was the, the hottest commodity to me. Um, so I think depending on what's been released and how big the event is, maybe uh, you can help tune some expectations on if you're if you're trying to win it like what to build for what to expect or if you're just trying to have fun like just go walk up with uh your oops all brotherhood roster and all with all 10 brotherhood characters like list building doesn't have to be like this big complex thing like if you want to run something run it if you want to try and win the event then maybe try and game what you think the uh the meta will be at the tournament yeah, meta be referring to sort of like the overarching uh, uh, what people are going to be bringing mostly. The, the meta game sort of refers to what's being played. So there's Marvel Crisis Protocol, the game, and in it are the pieces, and the most popular pieces sort of are the meta game or the most popular strategies, the way it's played. 
It's kind of that's that's a better explanation. I think it's the way the game is being played is the meta game. So when we're referring to that, we're talking about that's kind of what we're talking about. So like the uh, when Kenny's referring to the online meta, it's what the people playing and having success in the online environment, uh, what what they're doing, and that defines what the meta is for the meta game. Um, but yeah, like I think it's totally valid even to just ignore speaking the long winded explanation of what a metagame is, uh, it's perfectly valid to just ignore it half the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little call out to, uh, another podcast strike better. Um, one of the hosts, Ryan farmer played a web warriors roster. And from what I understand, I don't, I, I don't remember exactly, but from what I was told, he played, uh, exclusively amazing Spider-Man leadership just because he wanted to do it and he wanted to play it as much as possible. And I may be ascribing some, I may be prescribing some intent to him and I apologize if I am, but I think that's a perfectly valid way to play any competitive event, even a high level one. Um, every game is a learning game if you if you want it to be and playing things for fun and to tr- to try them is great. Uh, I played uh, Midnight Suns in the pre in the league and uh, tried some cute things like Hulk and uh, mystique and it didn't work out the way I wanted, but I had fun. And, uh, that was part of it is I didn't want to build something specifically to cater to what the metagame was. I wanted to try this list. Um, and I think that typically for me anyway, that's most fun for me to not worry about what's winning, uh, and just worry about what I think is going to be fun. Uh, what about you, Kenny? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I think, you you know this pretty well about me. Like I'm never gonna walk up to an event with what people have dubbed the strongest list or the most meta or powerful powerful thing at the time. I usually try to roll up with like, oh, this idea sounds fun. Like I said, Magic City Melee, I was all about playing Hulkbuster and I thought he sounded fun in Criminal Syndicate because he offered control, was tanky, was healthy on both of his sides of the card, whether he be in the Hulkbuster form or the tiny Iron Man form, he sounded fun. And I actually did pretty well with it. Ended up placing second, which I was, a uh, I was pretty proud of, um, other events like, uh, NashCon last year. I, I played some defenders. I played Inhumans in Wakanda before, uh, even though that wasn't like the most meta call at the time or anything like that. I don't know. Like I, I personally just like having fun with this game um, and playing what I think just sounds like a, a good idea at the time. Uh, I'm looking at playing Defenders again, uh, thanks to Nate and Sooner uh, kindly calling me out in the last episode. Um, was mighty, <laughs> mighty friendly of them to do that. Um, and so, I don't know, I like I said, I just like playing what I think is fun at the time. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. And that's just the reality of how I like to play the game. But if other people like to play the the strongest thing, like I can't really fault them for that. Cause I mean, it's what they like doing. So just do what you like and then have no shame in, in doing that. Yeah. And, and typically if you're trying to, you know, if you are trying to, cater yourself towards the meta game. Um, it, that's sort of a more studied approach, right? Like 
I don't think I could just, if you're just now getting to your first tournament, it's going to be very hard to by yourself, figure out what is being played. Um, what you'd have to do is, you know, look into online discussions or talk to experienced friends, uh, maybe people who are organizing it or people from the area that you're going to or, or in your area about what are some things to expect in the wider game and sort of what are some ways to cater your builds towards those options to either use them yourself or to uh, counter them or to play against them. Um, again, unless your goal is to just win the event, which we're talking about your first tournament and that, that shouldn't be your goal more on that later. Um, you know, you should be concerned with having fun and, and learning what the metagame is through play at these events is probably better than stressing out over, well, if I bring this, I'm going to lose to this and this and this. Cause until you get some, some tournament experience, it's just, it's, it, you're, it's, it's all going to run over your head anyway, most likely. Um, yeah. Moving on from list stuff. Uh, Cause it, we could go, we can have the whole, we can have the whole cast about how to build a list. Uh, <laughs> no joke. Uh, we've, we've done whole podcasts about building lists. <laughs> um, something that a lot of people don't think about when they're going to any event, especially if you've done like card events. Like when I played magic events, I never thought about this because there was so much sitting down and it felt like you're arrested most of the time. Um, and that's making sure that you're well hydrated and well fed. <laughs> Uh, and this is more of like a little bit of advice. Um, I like to bring bottles of water and try to drink at least one every two rounds, which isn't, you know, probably as ideal. Uh, I hear some people bring like, we'll drink a whole bottle of water around or just have like a gallon jug and drink it the entire time. Um, but it's important to make sure you stay hydrated. Uh, that way you, you can go on more rounds. Because uh, if you're looking at a four round event, four games of MCP at about an hour and a half long each is a long day, uh, about six hours worth of game time. And then that's not counting the time between where you're moving around and you're probably talking to people and you lunch breaks and all that fun stuff, maybe lunch breaks. Um, so making sure that you stay hydrated will, will keep you feeling better throughout the day. You won't start aching. You won't start getting headaches. Um so I, that's something I've had to do by, I have to find a, a key balance of being caffeinated and hydrated because the more caffeinated I get, the more dehydrated I get. I feel like the more I drink water, the less caffeine I'm getting and the more tired I get. <laughs> so I have, personally, I have a really tough time doing that. Um, but I'm typically also the guy who is not afraid to bring like a 24 pack of water from Publix or something and just be like, everyone can just drink this. I think I did that for NashCon. I think I got like, a case or two of water. I was like, anyone can drink these. You did. It was awesome. I greatly appreciated that. And, uh, what do you, do you typically bring snacks or anything, Kenny? Yeah. So on the hydration subjects, I, uh, I tend to not drink too much caffeine. I try to get eight hours of sleep the night before. Cause I'm an old man. Um, and coffee. No, you're just saying I, I am not as I uh, drink my, <laughs> extra large Milo sweet tea filled with sugar and caffeine at 10 o'clock at night or whatever it is. Yeah. Probably not the, the wisest idea. Um, but I tend to 
like I think one of our tournaments I brought like a half gallon or gallon jug of water. I don't remember the exact size of it. Um, but with that, you want to make sure you're also not drinking too much uh, during your rounds or between rounds. Cause then like during your next round, you might have to go take a leak in the middle of it and that'll throw you off. And if you have to pee during the middle of a round, like you get kind of jittery and antsy and it can be uh, playing some different mind games on you. But as far as like snackage, um, I'll usually try and like eat a granola bar or something like that between rounds. I, I try not to eat too much junk food um, just because that stuff is addicting and then I can find myself eating too much. And then it's just, then I like don't want to eat like an actual like nutritious meal or anything like that during any kind of lunch break or whatever. Like I want to have good, smart brain foods. Yeah. I, I typically like to bring like rich cheese or peanut butter crackers, depending on my company. Uh, one of my friends, he's allergic to peanuts and we had a really big scare. One time we went to a big event and I was eating some of my peanut crackers and uh, touched his stuff. And he came and got his, I, I don't remember why I touched, I think I was moving it or something. And he came and he got it. And a couple of minutes later, he goes, were you eating peanut butter crackers over here? I'm like, yeah. He's like, he just shows me his hands that he's breaking out. <laughs> oh, geez. So, but he was fine. It was minor. Um, but uh, that's, uh, that's typically my, my go-to is to, to eat. I think I also to Nashcon brought a big pack of Ritz crackers for everyone to eat on. Uh, yeah. Which, which I, I think my goal for that is typically to eat one between rounds, every round, eat something between every round. Like after, like just snack, not a big snack. Uh, you know, like I said, crackers are good. Um, peanuts, maybe those are kind of salty, but if you're staying hydrated, it's not as bad. Yeah. Uh, you need some kind of like electrolytes and I, think salt is an electrolyte. I'm not a nutritionist. We're not scientists. Or a scientist. Or doctors. Or doctors. We're just idiots. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of dim wits. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely, there's a big difference between uh, staying hydrated, staying somewhat well-fed, and not. like uh, In terms of how you're going to feel by the end of it and how you're going to feel in the rounds. And when I it felt like the easiest thing when I, when I used to play, I would just drink Coke and not eat except for during lunch breaks. And I'd feel like crap after a tournament and I hated it. And then once I started, someone just advised, Hey, just drink some water. I was like, ah, whatever. I'll just fine. And I did. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, this is great. This is so much better. I, I feel, I feel like now I look at like a four round event and some people are like, oh, no, four rounds. It's a lot of a lot of rounds. I'm like, man, four games of MCP in one day. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I know. Like, I'll be tired. I think when we went to Memphis, it was four rounds. Well, it was four rounds. And then you and I did the four and a half hour drive back afterwards. And we got home at, what, 1 a.m.? Something like that. It but I, brutal. I could have gone a fifth round. I felt great. And I think I had had a bottle of water. I think I did the, you know, like I said a bottle of water between each round and like crackers or something. Yeah. And we I ate. probably could have gone another round, but I could not have driven home. Yeah. That was probably the problem. Um, which unless you have anything else to talk about with the uh, food, snack foods, lunch foods and stuff. Yeah. Just eat stuff, drink stuff, 
don't let yourself dehydrate. Don't let yourself be malnourished or anything like that because it's not fun for you. It might not end up being fun for your opponent. Hanger is definitely a thing. God, I get super hangry. Yeah. And you want to you want to be having a good time when you're coming to these tournaments and you want to make sure your opponents are having a good time. So don't be that guy or girl. Yeah. I, I'm the embodiment of the Snickers commercials where they're like, are you hungry? You just, you, just, you turn into a diva when you're hungry. <laughs> I am that exact embodiment. So in order to stay cheerful, I have to be eating at these events. Oh, yeah. Uh, so let's kind of uh, segue that a little unsuccessfully into what our expectations are for a first tournament, maybe into like, you know, your first tournament in area we're, we're mostly who we're targeting this at, obviously are people who may not have played in an MCP event at all. Maybe not a minis game event or uh, any event. So what are some goals and some expectations you should have going into that? And why don't you get us started this time, Kenny? Yeah, I think so. When we had our first tournament, it was, I think, early March or late February of 2020. So literally like right before COVID hit. Um, I think it was sooner than that because I think Wakanda had just come out. It might've been sooner. I, I don't know. It's obviously been like over two years. So well, no, it was Venom because I, I scarred you for life with Venom in that event. Uh, I was hoping to get through this without being reminded of that. Um, <laughs> Never. But as far as first tournaments go, I know I was, I guess, somehow managed to play second in our tournament, but there were a lot of other new players as well. So, again, it was like a bunch of good rolls of the dice and stuff like that. Nothing like my gameplay, I think, really won me that game or won me those games. Um, so, as far as like first tournaments go, I my biggest expectation, I think, during my first tournament was one, have fun. Like I had a bunch of friends there, was meeting new people like you, um, and just overall had a really good time with it. My second expectation would be to just learn. <laughs> During your games, um, if you're very new, um, there's a lot of things that you can learn from the other players. Um, like don't be afraid to, after the game's done, whether you won or lost, just, hey, what could I do better? Or what are things you noticed? Anything like that? Because I think in general, like everyone I've met in this community, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but at least everyone I've met has been very positive, willing to help me learn, help coach me through maybe decisions or things like that, or help me question things after games that I did. Um, so just have a humble mindset on like just how to be better. If that's really what you want, or if you're just trying to have fun, then just have fun with it and don't worry about growing your skills or anything like that. Yeah, I, I can speak a little bit more about, you know, cause like I said, I'm, I've been playing a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh lately and it's a new game to me and my expect my, my goals and my expectations. My goal every time I go to an event is uh, to try to play to win one more time than I did the previous the first one, the first time I went, I, I just wanted to win a game, you know, even if it was, you know, round six, which I don't think we did round. I don't think I've been to a six round event for that yet. Um, you know, if it's round six, I'm in the, I'm in the bottom tables and some guy that barely wants to play at all. And we're playing and I win that game. Cool. I felt good. I got the, I got the one win. And then the next time I go to an event, I want to get two wins. 
and I don't beat myself up if I can't win, uh, if I can't accomplish that goal, because I'm still learning. It's the same with with this game when I first started. I I, I think the first the first event we had locally, I think I won. Um, you did, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was one of the few people in that event that had previously played a minis game. <laughs> you guys had all come from Star Wars Destiny. Yes, there are a and, large uh, amount of us. So the I think a lot of the competitive players were coming from a card game and having to learn how to play a miniatures game. And I was the probably one of the few competitive miniatures players there. And the miniatures players that previous miniatures players there were probably not as you know competitively uh, focused as I was. And so I just came with a little bit of a different mindset and a lot more experience. Um, I remember a few of the games. It was so, so long ago. I remember, I remember torturing you with Venom, and I remember my last round when uh, I fell in love with Crossbones for the fourth time. And uh, because yeah. it was something my opponent wait, did wait, too. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. How come I get shamed for not playing Doctor Strange, and no one shames you for not playing Crossbones? Oh, I get shamed all the time. This is unfair. I get shamed for not playing Ghost Rider, Crossbones, uh, Sinister. Uh, I, I I don't. I need to put a, together a, a list. I'm pretty sure I could make a roster of all the characters people meme on me for not playing. Look, I I just demand equality on this podcast. I expect people to make fun of you next week. Well, they did make fun of me last week. You were just so blinded by your rage over not oh. having seen Doctor Strange in so long that you you missed it. I was very rageful. Yeah, I know. I was I was irate. You were very mad. <laughs> but I didn't write a love letter to any of my favorite characters. That's true. All right, back on <laughs> back on to our subject. Back on track. Hand. Um and when I went into those games, a lot of my especially when I, more when I do miniatures games, even if I'm trying to be competitive and win, my goal is to just meet new people and have fun games. Uh, if I win, that's great. And I'll be happy if I lose and I had fun. I was great. And I'm happy. And my expectations for those events are to just get through the rounds, <laughs> you know, four or five round events. You know, I like them and they're fun, but they can be hard. Um, and my expectation is to see things that I've never seen before and learn from them. Um, when we went to Nashcon. Uh, I, in the lead up to cuts, I think it was a five, it was five rounds, wasn't it? Um, I think so. I think it was five rounds and then cut for top eight. So you, you played six rounds day one. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I find I do well at is if I've seen something before and I understand it, I can probably, if I've lost to it, I can probably not lose to it again. I know the decisions to make, to make the, the match better. So I lost twice in the first five rounds and I was the pretty, I was the eighth place cut. <laughs> so I was eight seed going into cuts. Um, I lost to finger guns, Sam um, in his black order uh, in round three. And in round five, I lost to Justin, Jimmy to hand uh, and his tanky Sam spam. And in both games, I realized talking to my opponent uh, after the game and some internal reflection what are things i could have done better what are things i should have been aiming for that would make me win the game uh so when we drew around the the first round of cuts and i played sam because he's the first seed 
uh, I came with a much better game plan and uh, it was much more in my favor when I won that game. Um, part of it was some unlucky crisis selection for him and me coming with uh, some newly discovered ideas to, to help beat his black order. And then versus Justin in the next round, uh, I realized what I should have been doing, who I should have been focusing in his tanky spam spam build, which I was playing Sam as well. Uh, so I, I took a team catered into a matchup like that, better catered into a matchup like that, and was able to uh, take that game too. Um, so learning, like learning from my mistakes and learning from the games I play, is like always my primary goal and my expectation. If I don't learn anything from an event, uh, I think it's probably even if I win an event, and if I, if I didn't learn anything, I probably didn't, you know go walk away with anything in my eyes. Like I, I don't want to lose, but I want to leave with something. I want someone to show me something I haven't seen before and, and give me a great game. Yeah. What's the, what's the cheesy saying? It's like, yeah, I may have lost the game, but the only way I truly lose or is if I don't learn from it or something like that. Like I don't it's, know. Maybe it's true. <laughs> I mean, if I ever lose a game, like, I want to have at least learned something. Otherwise it was just a waste of time. Really? I I wouldn't say that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons you can lose. And I think that, you know, you're still supposed to have fun. Like the, the real goal is to have fun. You know, the, the macro goal is to have fun. The macro goal is to have fun. Or in the micro goals, learning is great. But if you play a matchup that you played a bajillion times and stuff just doesn't go your way or your opponent does something a little unexpected or, you're expecting something maybe optimal quote, quote, and they don't do the optimal play and it messes you up. I don't think there's anything wasted on that. If you had a fun game, but um, definitely when I go to these events, I'm, I'm trying to, to experience those kind of games where I'm learning new things and hopefully giving it to my opponent. I, I I'm giving them a good game. Yeah. Maybe, maybe wasted isn't the right word for it, but I feel like in general, like, any game you play, there's probably at least one thing you can learn from it, whether it's just something very, very minuscule or something a lot larger. I don't know. That's just, that's at least how I view it. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's good to have micro goals like that. Like your goal, especially going to your first should never be, I want to win the tournament. Uh, Because you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to, to be disappointed. Um, for even if you're even with my experience, like I've won several events. I don't go to an event expecting to win. Um, cause I'm just going to be super disappointed when I don't. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it is a goal. It is one of the micro goals, but it, I don't feel unaccomplished when that, cause that's everyone's goal when you enter a tournament, right? You know, even if you're just there to have fun, if you won four games in a row and, and happened to, win the tournament you know mission accomplished is the way you'll probably feel for it um but that shouldn't be the only way you have fun when you go um because it's only one person can win out of what like you know maybe 20 or so people if it's a bigger event bigger local event and uh it's better for you to just to cater your uh your goals to 
what you would really like to see happen. Yeah, I think when I go to events, even now, like playing for two years, like I know I'm not like probably the best player in the world, but I know I'm a lot better than I was two years ago at this point. But even now it's like, I just want to go and uh, objective A is have a good time. Objective B is do as well as I can. And a lot of times, like not having that pressure of like, I really need to win this thing helps me perform better almost because like I just don't have that expectation that I'm going to win it even if I bring Criminal Syndicate with Hulkbuster in our last event like I never expected to win it I I thought like there's a good chance I might do well because I viewed Criminal Syndicate to be strong at the time but I never was like oh yeah this is like a, a slam dunk win if I don't win then it's just all a loss like I don't know that's just not it takes away from the enjoyment of the game to me to expect to win every game. Now I probably haven't ever told you this, but one of my goals every time I go to an event out of town uh, is to go eat something cool. Either something that I don't get to eat at home that I enjoy. Like when we go to Nashville, uh, we're going to party foul. We're going to party foul. We're going to party foul for the hot chicken. Uh, But like when we went to Memphis, I'd never been to Memphis. So the thing I kept asking the Memphis boys was, Hey, you got to take us to some good barbecue. Cause all I ever hear about is Memphis barbecue. We should have gone to rendezvous. I and they'll get mad at us. I we're, going to rendezvous next time. we're going to will. We're making will go to rendezvous with us. He can't say will, no. Will advised us go to rendezvous. Don't Everyone else said no. Yeah. Will said we should have gone to rendezvous. The other said we shouldn't have. Yeah. Which it was good barbecue. I enjoyed it. But I want to go to Rendezvous next time because it's the one that they always, yeah. they always talk about. Those, but I those always central have, nachos were amazing. They looked really good. Uh, yeah, that, that's one of my little little mini goals is to go eat something cool. Um, and then also, you know, going and seeing my, my friends out of town. Uh, and for like, we went to NashCon and like the first time I went to Nashville and met Nate. Uh, some of it, sometimes it's just, hey, I've been talking to these guys online for, you know, months uh getting to meet them for the first time was really fun uh yeah that stuff is really uh, you know a lot of online discourse for this game that i've seen is all in discord or on facebook um so you know putting a name and a voice to that face or a face and a voice to that name (laughs) or or even that screen name uh is sometimes really fun Uh, and just being able to like talk and hang out yeah, uh, and make great. it more make it more social than it is like you know, you know trying. To, I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to come over here and hang out. Uh, you know, some some of the best like when we went to Memphis and we hung out the night before and played a bunch of games. Like that was really fun. Uh, yes, Night of the Ninja. Night of the so Ninja, dude. Fun. That kind of stuff is great. Like making the competitive event more about other things is a really good way to make it. Uh, one less intimidating if it's your first and two uh, easier to kind of like ease into. Yeah. I know I, uh, we met finger guns, Sam at, uh, at NashCon, but in, uh, in March I was going to be out in Greenville, South Carolina, which is where he and all his locals are. And uh, so I let them know ahead of time and ended up just going to their uh, unstoppable 
Colossus event and had a great time meeting them and, and that crew out there. It was, it was good. They had like a 13, 14 person turnout for it. So it was really sweet. So just, I don't know, meeting new people with this game is, is just a blast. Well, let's sort of kind of segue that a little bit into our last topic here before we get on to the few questions we got. Um, and that's etiquette. We kind of touched on a little bit at the beginning when we were talking about, you know, trying to be a little bit more collaborative um, and trying to be clear to your opponent because of the way that the game works. You know, a lot of it is, uh, there's a lot of nebulous stuff even in this game. Uh, there's physical representations of things, you know, the models, but sometimes things can be weird and sometimes you need to bear with it. Both of you and your opponent kind of have to give some concessions to some weird things happening. So um, that's where a lot of like etiquette stuff comes in. You know, if your opponent makes like a rule mistake for me anyway, like they misread a rule and you think they think that it works one way and you work, you think it works another way. Um, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people that I've met who are getting into events of any kind feel like they don't want to call judge because they don't want to be that guy, right? Like I'm going to be that guy. If I call judge, and I'm going to look like a jerk for saying, I think you're wrong. I think I'm right. And they'll be very passive about it and just say, well, we'll go ahead and go with your interpretation. Um, for me, if you think something's wrong, I would rather you tell me and I will, I will call a judge on myself. Um, if there's a, any mistake, cause to me, making sure both me and my opponent are on the same page as for as much of the game as possible is one of my number one priorities when I play someone. Um, and I think that it, calling a judge is part of that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it should be part of what you expect to happen for like for you to do and for them to do. Cause the judge is there to be a mediator and to know the rules or the re- have the resources to find the rules when there is like, you know, uh, a dispute on how something works and don't be afraid to be wrong on something like that. Cause if something doesn't feel right, it's going to continue to not feel right. And it's going to, that's the kind of stuff that can kind of latch into your head and, and kind of sour uh, what would otherwise maybe have been a great game. Uh, Cause you just didn't feel like that rule worked that way. Or maybe, maybe if you had said something about it, just go ahead and say something about it. Um, of course, don't be a jerk to your opponent about it. <laughs> uh, just be, just say, Hey, do you mind if we called, you know, just, I don't, I want to call judge and make sure cause it doesn't sound right. And call judge and have them mediate. It'll be quick. It's a lot quicker than arguing about it or looking it up in the rules yourself most of the time. Um, and then you can get back to playing and you'll both know for certain that that's how it is. Yeah, I know for me personally, it's real easy to like be awkward about it um, just because I haven't played minis games for that long. I mean, even in Star Wars Destiny, you could call for judges and I don't think I called for a judge once in my like year and a half playing that um i don't know i and it's it's kind of weird because like i grew up playing 
a, a buttload of sports. Um, and you've got the referee there for like that exact purpose. But for some reason, it's it feels different here, like calling a judge over because like you're having to one interrupt their time, which is stupid because that's literally what their time is there for. <laughs> and two, it's like, oh, like I'm calling the the fun police on my opponent and I'm going to make them have a bad time because I don't trust what's going on. Sometimes people will feel that way. Like if I call judge on someone, they might feel that way. And that should not be the attitude towards judge calls. Um, like one of the examples I always think about when I'm thinking about when calling judge on myself is uh, I was playing a, uh, a game at a, a local, like when I was playing magic, I was playing at a, competitive qualifier event for a local event thing. It was really weird and a long time ago, but, um, I, uh, I drew a card and the card below the card I drew stuck to the card. And when I put it in my hand, I had drawn two cards instead of one. And my opponent never would have noticed. I could have gotten away with it, but I just immediately put my, put those two cards down called judge. And my opponent looks at me like I'm crazy. Like, what did I do? Or what he thought he was probably thinking, what did he do? Uh, and just told him, I have this problem. I did this thing. How did I resolve it? Um, and I actually ended up getting a warning, which was fair. Um, but in that moment, what the judge told me was, had I gotten judge called against me for that, that would have been something like a game loss which it's, there's a lot more strict things in card games when it comes to judge calls. Right. And like infractions and stuff. And a little bit more, you call people when there's a problem less than you have a, you want to know how something works. Um, so in this instance, calling the judge and saying, Hey, I did something wrong. Please fix it. It ended up being better for me. Um, and it really kind of broke the ice on, what I should call judge for. Uh, and like I said, if we're in a game, like I, I, I probably have done this with someone. If someone doesn't feel like something I'm doing is correct, I'm more than comfortable calling a judge. And I've had instances I played. I, I can remember this one. Clearly there was a really weird rules interaction in war machine uh, that I had researched and figured out that this is how it worked. Cause that game is much more complex than this one. Um, Knew for a fact that this rule worked this way and it was unintuitive and didn't seem right, but whatever, that's how it works. So I went to an event and I made a play where I used that interaction and my opponent's like, that's not how that works. And I'm like, that is how that works. And he said, I don't think that's how that works. So that's fine. We can call judge and we can, and they should be able to look it up, find it and we can get, you know, uh, you know, an, an impartial, look into it. And funny enough, the judge had also not seen this really obscure interaction and he ruled against me. <laughs> um, I don't regret having called judge in that instance. Uh, I would much rather my opponent have been satisfied with however we did it. than sort of strong arm him to be like, this is how it works. Trust me, this is how it works. And then him be you know upset about it later. Mm-hmm. Even if he found out it was correct. Um, I was happy that the judge 
made a ruling for us. And I, I told, I showed him later where I got the, or I'd done my homework and found out that stuff. He's like, Oh, that is weird. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I hate it, but that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and we both had a laugh about it and it, we went on and, uh, uh, but you know, even with that being a negative call for me, you know, two examples of negative judge calls for me, I didn't feel bad about them. I, I pre I, I enjoyed that, you know, it, what it did is it contributed to a positive game for both me and my opponent. And it's not just about how I'm playing. It's about how my opponent's playing too, for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're an honorable man, Josh. I don't, I don't care think... what Sooner says about you. <laughs> what does Sooner say about me? Um, you'll have to ask him. <laughs> so well, like, what are some things like some etiquette things that you can think of? Like the judge one's a big one for me because I, I feel like a lot of people approach me with uh, not wanting to call judge. Like you said, you know, people feel like you're wasting their time, but you're not like when I'm judging events, like, please call me. Like I, when I did war machine, I would, I was literally constantly walking from table to table, answering judge calls. And that was, that was totally fine with me. I liked it. Um, the one, the one thing I can think of just immediately is how to handle dice spikes or dice anti-spikes, I guess is the way to say it. Um, whether against you or for you or whatever, um, cause dice are obviously an important part of a dice based game. And from what I've heard, this game has much more, uh, dice variants than others. Oh yes. Um, so, so how do we how do we handle dice? How do we not let the dice tilt get to us? And uh, I guess at the end of the day, like, how do we make sure, like, we're not blaming dice for a loss when it's not justified? I uh, I love that. I could do a whole episode on that, honestly. Uh, <laughs> we'll I love try that to keep topic. it to five minutes. Uh, I, I I try my best to whenever, even if I feel like I got diced, because that's if you get if you have a frustrating loss, one of your first thoughts is probably going to be, "Well, I got diced. Dang it, I got you know, dice didn't go my way." And what I always like to do, and this has come from me playing a lot of miniatures games, and, and really wanting to drill in on this exact thing, I try to remember as many plays as I can and kind of how the dice fell, um, and try to like in my mind be able to map out the game. Um, which I've been told by a few people, like they can't do that. <laughs> and that it was weird that I could do it. <laughs> well, I think it was when I went, when, uh, at, at the Memphis event, I think, uh, Sean who ran it and, uh, Will were talking, we were talking about the event and they were like, how the heck did you remember all that? Uh, but I try to like analyze all my games and I always, almost always come up with, I didn't get diced. I just made a really stupid mistake here or my opponent just made a brilliant play and I just didn't even see it. Um, it happens sometimes I have been diced and I have diced people. Um, but they're very few and far between mm-hmm. and being able to recognize those at least after the game is great. And then also, uh, not letting them get to you, whether you're advantaged or disadvantaged by it is really important because it can be so easy to be frustrated and it's not your opponent's fault, you know? They're, they're probably having, if it's advantage to them, they're probably not having as bad of a time as you are in that moment because they're on top, but they're, 
probably not as satisfied with the game as they could be if it was closer or dice weren't going just completely in their favor and kind of blaming them or making it about that and kind of discrediting their win because of that, especially if, like I said, it wasn't the case, uh, can feel kind of bad. And you don't want to do that to someone because like, it's not their fault. It's no one's fault that the dice do the dice things. Yeah. Unless they're playing Corvus, then it's their fault. (laughs) Well, Um, if if they're playing Corvus and they roll six shields on a death blow, like that's still kind of a feel, it feels good for you in the moment because they're playing Corvus. But on the other hand, you're like, God, I'm sorry, man. Like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. I hate to see it. Um, but yeah, I know I can let dice get to me sometimes. Um, thinking back to the the Magic City Melee again in my finals game with Twitty, aka Andy. Um, I know I got somewhat tilted by the dice, but also like I I played not very well that game, and like I fully know that I don't think the dice helped me. Like I think there's moments where like you cannot play well, and then the dice not help you and like sort of emphasize that or compound that to where like it gets in your head more. Um, but like, I, I know there's plenty, like there's maybe like one game I've played where it's like, okay, like this guy just dice the heck out of me. There's, there's nothing I can do. Um, and there's like a couple games where I've played where I've diced the heck out of my opponent and there's not a lot they can do. But like you said, those are, those are few and far between. There's usually stuff that I did wrong, whether it's positioning or maybe like my order of activations could have been, been a little bit different to, uh, to help me leverage my positioning more. Um, but yeah, more often than not, like it's, it's, it's hard to not let dice get to your head. Like in a game where dice variance is just so high and like, let's say you have a Thor or someone and they get, spiked by a venom uh <laughs> i'm bringing that upon myself now um but like let's say that happens and and it's like man like this feels bad like i feel like i'm on my back foot now but m- more often than not when you're on your back foot in this game like the, re- the there's a reason the dazed mechanic works in the healthy and injured side exists in this game and it's so that you can get a chance to come back from that um, so there's, yeah, there's been plenty of games where like, I feel like I've been on my back foot or I feel like I've like, Oh yeah, like I've got this in the bag and then it's the other way around. Like I'll end up losing games. I think I'm winning and then, or I'll win games. I think I'm losing recently with us, Josh, like we had that game where I was playing brotherhood and you were playing the web warriors. And I was like, Oh man, like I'm finally going to get over my web warriors hurdle. And, <laughs> oh uh, no. <laughs> It pains me to it pains me to say I lost that game, but I feel like I played it really well. You played it really well, and it's just how that game went. Yeah, I actually had a game similar to that with uh, another local Terrence, where he played Brotherhood and my Web Warriors, and uh, we both played a really good game. And you know, one of the things talking about these dice them being so swingy is uh, sometimes it's part of what makes the game interesting for me. I remember playing War Machine. And there were times I would start the game, look at the table and realize mathematically, I'm probably not going to win this. Like there's probably no way the models I brought can kill the models he brought for some one reason or another. Maybe 
one of the stats are too low on my end or one of the stats he brought is too high. And I just don't have an answer for it. And there's certainly times where you can look at that. Like if you see a Hulk across the table and think, man, I just don't have the powerful enough attacks to deal with a Hulk or a Thanos or a juggernaut um, or web warriors, the way that they re-roll their dice. But the way these, these dice work, man, like I can roll like a four die attack and end up getting like seven damage on something with, you know, the right role, which is kind of unique to this game. Um, you know, in war machine, it's just two D six and you add the results to your stats or whatever and subtract their stats essentially. So if you got like the normal guy, the normal guy hits like 11 power and two D six, that's seven. So that's like 18 and the average armor of things you want to kill is like 17 or 18. So you're either matching it and not killing it or doing a damage and into like really heavy armor things. It might be more. And if you're playing things with less powerful attacks, you may have less, you may have like nine power. And if you've got like a group of like power, 11 guys into armor, 22 things with like 30 HP each, it's really tough. Yeah. And, and in this game, you look at someone like Juggernaut, who's got eight, eight health. If you have a strike with four dice, if you roll four crits and four successes, and he rolls none, and he doesn't have the power to nice punch and block it, you just kill him. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's one thing I kind of like about this game. It's like every character has their superhero or supervillain moment, and it and it feels more more thematic, I think, for what you'd want oh, in yeah. like a superhero, supervillain punchy punchy stabby stabby game yeah and it it makes it feel like for for the most part you're never you're never truly out of it you can if you get a good role you can come back and that could be either side that could be a good defense role or a good attack role or your opponent getting you know poor roles because you could roll on the other side juggernaut uh has an eight die strike <laughs> sometimes yeah uh I played a test game with Matthew last month and Magneto from range three, one shot Luke cage and then juggernaut one shot him on his backside. And it was, oh, no. it was like, well, there goes Luke cage. But on the flip side, you know, you could attack with like the eight die juggernaut attack and get one success. Yeah. And like sometimes if you're on your back foot, you need that. And it's, sort of this both ways, like juggernaut comes rampaging in and your little, your bullseye is trying his best to get away with this Cree core. And he swings a big punch and he like just totally whiffs. Yep. And bullseye it's, gets away. It's awesome. I love it. And it can be, fr- and those that variants can be frustrating when you're on the ba- the other side of it, when you're the one that's not benefiting from it. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's when I find myself getting little getting tilted. upset. Yeah, uh, and you you have to realize that that time comes for you too. Yeah, and we are going to realize the bad things that happen to us, so the bad dice rolls, one way or the other, more than we will our own good ones. Um, so keeping that in mind when someone's playing with you. And they're they're doing good and on the dice, and you're doing poor. Keep in mind, it may not be as bad as you think, and you've definitely had those games, most likely too. 
Yeah, um, just and don't just just be nice about it. Yeah, be nice about it, and then if your dice aren't going the way you are, the way you want them to, just keep fighting the fight, and you might still win it. That's basically it. Yep. One, you know, if you start out poor, and then the a lot of people say, and I kind of agree with this, I would rather have bad early game dice and great late game dice. Yeah, I'd no. rather lose that early advantage and then, you know, swing it around late game and, and close it with great dice. Yeah, I, I always find myself having the, the good early game dice and the bad late game dice. It's a it's a curse. I think a lot of our games end up with, you'll be like, man, if I roll better than last time, as a joke, and then like, you'll just one-shot three characters around one or two. Yeah, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I'll start one-shotting your characters and I'll end up winning. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's how our game with the Brotherhood and Spider people went. It was annoying. It was so fun. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, like, like we mentioned before, a lot of this is collaborative in in miniatures games. So just being a good opponent, being open and nice, and doing your best to be fair, I think is where uh, uh, you should be aiming. Well, let's go ahead and cut this off. We're running a little bit long, and we're get, we got a couple of listener questions to talk about. But first, a word from our sponsors. This show wouldn't be possible without the members of the Guildhall and our sponsors, Tritex Games, based in the EU, and War Room Hobbies, based in Tennessee. Both are great local gaming stores that have game nights and are supporting their local communities. So if you're shopping online anyway, please consider using them as an option to support a local game store instead of a big company like Amazon. And to help beat those prices, I have some codes here that will save you even more if they're already discounted prices. If you use the code TRITEXGGCP5, that's T-R-I-T-E-X-G-G-C-P and the number 5 at checkout, you'll save an extra 5% off from Tritex's MCP selection. And if you check out at War Room Hobbies, you can use the code MCP2022 for an extra 10% off of your order. If you're already shopping from your local game store and are wanting to support the Guild's videos or podcasts, check out our Patreon page. For as little as a dollar a month or $12 a year, you can help us continue to put out content for Marvel Crisis Protocol. And on top of that, you can come hang out with us on Discord and give us listener questions like the ones now. All right, let's get this. Let's do the listener questions. Listener questions. So our, our first question is uh, from our co-host, our Lord and Savior, our sponsor, Nate. Uh, he Nate. would like to hear from us the uh, the pros and cons. Hold of on, hold chess. on. Do you mean Nate, the champion, breaker of chains, the breaker leader of, chains. of the free people, and abundantly famous YouTuber? That Nate? Yes. Abundantly famous and abundantly <gasps> beautiful. True. Uh, his question for us is: uh, He wants to hear from us the pros and cons of chess clocks for a growing game like MCP. And I know this is a this is a hot topic, so let's try to keep our thoughts not too long. Not oh, you know, I could I could have a whole episode about this. Uh, you could have a whole episode about a lot of let, things. Let me hear your thoughts because I have had a lot more experience with chess clocks than you do. You've had, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I've played literally zero games with chess clocks in my life. Um, so I, 
I see like why I think they would be beneficial. Um, I think it only makes sense for each player to have an equal amount of time in a game, especially in like a in a more competitive environment like NashCon or LVO or whatever. Um, like I I think it makes sense because some players might take a little bit longer on their turn. Some players might take a little bit shorter, and I think being able to manage the time allotted to you is, I think a fair, um, a fair ask of any kind of TO, but I also can see why you wouldn't want to use chess clocks because it might deter people from signing up for events or, um, or just create negative play experiences for some players. Like I I think if you're going to use chess clocks in an event, like it needs to be well established ahead of time so people can get the chance to practice for it and know well ahead of time like what they're signing up for. Like I don't think you should have an event and then people show up and then you just pop a, a chess clock on their table. Like I don't think that'll go over well. No, yeah, definitely don't do that. Um for me, I, I when I was playing War Machine, we did timed turns. I don't remember how much time you got. You got like 10 minutes or something. And then once per game, you got a five minute extension. And once your time ran out on your turn, it swapped the opponent. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of an activation or what, like it, it's your opponent's turn. Um, and a lot of that was to keep, to stop something called slow play. Uh, slow play is when, you know, if we have an hour and a half for our, for our round for us to play our game, if one person plays a little slow, gets a little bit of an advantage and rides out the clock, until the end of the game, time runs out and they win on the on their advantage score. That would be an example of slow play. And, you know, not everyone's going to do that. Most people are probably not here to slow play and take advantage of the clock system like that. But inevitably in any game, you're going to have people that will do stuff like that. And to me, I having chess clocks stops that entirely. Because one of the one of the most awkward things that can happen when you do have a timed event is questioning if your opponent is slow playing you and questioning if you're slow playing your opponent. Um, and when I'm I'm going to bring back Yu-Gi-Oh again. There's a lot of times where I'm like, "Am I going too slow?" Because I don't really know what I'm doing, or my opponent will be taking a long time, and I'll be like, "Are they are they slow playing me right now? Are they trying to you know get that win?" Um, and having chess clocks just completely takes that out of the question. I'm responsible for my time. And if I go over, I know it was my fault. And I, it, I know that it's intimidating for some people. Um, like I have heard people say that it's, you know, it's a little intimidating to have so much time. And if you run out, you just lose, but it sounds like less time than it really is. Is what I found out when I played, like I said, when I played war machine, I was really nervous about it and I didn't like it at first, but the more I played it, the more I appreciated uh, how it made both players kind of responsible for their own thing. And I had very few people like do gamey thing. You hear about people who slap the clock back to you, right? Like you've heard that kind of stuff. Uh, no. Uh, basically like every little excuse they could get to slap the clock back to you and make you slap it back to them. They'll, okay. they'll take to kind of get a little, like little incremental advantages. Even the times I had people do that, I never felt the time pressure. Um, 
because I just I played my game and I would recognize that they would do that and be like, oh, that's the kind of game you want to play. Okay, we'll just <laughs> do everything quicker. And it it does take more practice um, to be able to do that. It's not something I think that all local events should strive for. Like in War Machine, I think the way that that game was geared, I think that every game should have been played on chess clock if you're playing in a competitive environment. This game, I think like at your local level, having an overall timer is fine. And really chess clocks, I think should be saved for either big cuts, like, you know, cutting to top eight at an event or just big events in general. Uh, Just to, to take that little bit of uneasiness out of how timekeeping is done. Because if you're going to a big event like a NashCon or an LVO, you're probably, you should be expected to know, to know your stuff and to be ready for that kind of thing. In my yeah, opinion. Yeah, that all makes sense. And that's kind of how I view it too. But I don't know. I, I see why people don't love them. But as someone who hasn't tried them, I think, Overall, they're probably a boon for like bigger events. For big competitive events specifically. And you know what? Next time we play in person, like a, a normal game, let's play on a chess clock and we'll, we'll we'll see how you like it. We can follow up on a later episode. Yeah, that would be awesome, actually. Because um, I have a bunch research. of them. Yeah. Like, and there's, I think that the biggest hurdle for me is going to be figuring out clock etiquette. There's a whole other thing about clock etiquette that we could talk about. Um, figuring it out for this game. A whole, when to other sli- episode. A whole other episode. <laughs> when to slap back to your opponent. When when is it okay? How long should the timers be? Like how to me it should be long enough that both players can comfortably play. And if a lot of games are going to time for some reason, you should probably extend it. Like that it should be a win condition in as much as it should be. Like, like you took way too long, like obvious, like you took way too long. Yeah. Like, like I think I've suggested 45 minutes per person, which is an hour and a half, which is a normal game time. Um, I would even be okay with like 50 minutes to an hour. I don't think you need an hour. Um, but like, especially if you decide to do a local event with chess clocks, just to keep people used to it, extending that time is probably a good thing to take some of that pressure off. Yeah, I think 45 minutes is probably perfectly reasonable per player. I mean, most of the events we've done and participated in have been an hour and a half. And I'm also not like someone who thinks through every single action in in great detail. So I'd probably like if I if I play a game that lasts an hour and 30 minutes, like I'd probably be taking like 35 minutes of that entire time. Like there's there's going to be some bigger turns in a game which require more thought, um, but that's why I, I kind of like just like the forty five minute generic timer instead of having the uh, what was it like the the turn timer? Yeah, that you had. Like I mm-hmm. I think that would be not good for MCP. Yeah, especially because like there would be time for like you would have your next turn planned out and then your opponent would do something that would knock it completely off the rails and you just didn't have time to think things through. And being on death on chess clock, being on chess clocks, now hold on. And being on chess clocks means that time is sort of a resource. 
So if you really need to think, think about stuff, you, you can just take a minute and think it through and it's all on your own time. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's smoother for both people. Your opponent can relax more knowing that your time is being taken and not both of your times are being taken. And you can yeah, do the exactly. same when your opponent's thinking, but um, I, I definitely think this is something we should come back on. Let's, let's definitely play that game and talk a little bit more in depth another time. Um, one of the other questions I got was I had a couple friends uh, that asked, wanted some questions for this. Um, one is our local Terrence. Uh, Terry was asked, he's asking what's some advice to give to prep your list before a tournament. Um, we went over that a little bit at the beginning, which we kind of got that topic from him a little bit. <laughs> um, but I would say if you're wanting to prep, like prep a list and build it a lot of as much practice as you can get. Um, and then we, you know, we talked about metagame, like know what, know what you should see and what plays well with, with or against it and come with a plan. Like what, how do you want to play the game? Do you want to play objective? Do you want to play beat facing? And then figure out what your best options for that are. Practice them. And uh, don't be reading your cards for the first time at an event that you're planning to try to do well at. Like if you, I think it's fine to come and play. I think at Memphis, one of the guys, Rylan, was playing Dormammu for like the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I played, played him every round and it was terrifying. But that's totally fine if that's what you want to do. But if you're wanting to play like, an event you went at, you you probably want to know your cards without reading them. It's probably yeah. the best advice. Like you want to be able to know what you've got. Yeah, I'd I'd say also like know like with your crises and with all the various threat levels, like try to have at least some kind of game plan for what you'd want to do with what you have. Um that way like you're if like let's say like you flip 17 points on infinity formula like you know like oh like i want to play dr strange and magic and some other people here who have more potential ranged attacks or who like having that extra power benefit or or whatever like have have some kind of of game plan for your good scenarios and probably have like a game plan or two for what you think are your worst scenarios as well that way like you're not going into any kind of game truly unprepared at the very least have a game plan for all of your crises. So your half of the game, you know what you're going to do. And then you're just trying to figure out what to do against your opponent's half. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also in a, uh, something I'd like to add on that. We didn't talk about it at the beginning. We were talking about preparing. Uh, it's kind of goes hand in hand. Be sure to have like all your dice and your cards and your measuring sticks, preferably <laughs> yes. all, preferably all official AMG stuff. If if there's a like official AMG stuff going on at the event you go to, like at a convention, they may require it. So be sure you have that stuff, like at least in your car or in your suitcase if you like flew, to make sure you're prepared. Because the last thing you want to do is like get to your first table, pull out all of your models, but one. So night before, kind of get a checklist of all the things you'll need. Tokens, dice, um, characters, templates. Make sure you got it all. Make sure you bring it all to the table. A tray, a tray to bring it all on is great. I, I use a, a dice box, a little dice box. And I put all my models and cards and stuff in that. 
and use that to carry stuff around. When I did War Machine, I had this giant double-decker tray uh, that I carried around with all my models on it with drawers that had all my tokens and stuff in it, which was excessive, but necessary for that game sometimes. Because um, <laughs> I had like 100 models on this tray. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you know, just, just make sure you have all of your actual gaming materials ready before you head out. Um, and then the last question, we got a, an interesting question from someone. Uh, he he actually doesn't play the game. He knows about the game. Um, and he knows that you know I play it competitively and I have friends that play it and that we do this podcast. Um, but his question was, what's kind of a good entry point, you know, list-wise? What, what would be a good buy list to get into the game competitively for cheap? So if he wanted to, you know, the cheapest possible option to come to an event, what would he do? Um, oh man! And that's you could uh, again you could make a whole a whole uh, episode on this, but I think a good answer to that question is um, first off the core box. The core box gives you everything you need to play a game: a ten man roster, at least ten tactics cards, three of each crisis, templates, dice. Um. That's the easiest way to get to your first event. If you want to play competitively and you want to have a coherent list, I think what you would do is in the core box, you have Cabal, a little bit of Web Warrior, a little bit of Spider-Foe, and Avengers. I think you mm-hmm. would. what you should do is you should pick one of those affiliations that you like the most for the characters, whichever character or, yeah, character or affiliation you like the most, and buy more of that affiliation to fill out 10 characters and play with that. So if you want like Avengers, maybe buying Sam and War Machine, Hawkeye, um, and, Black, and the Agent Widow, um, Vision and Winter Soldier, Hulk, characters like that would be really big to help you flesh out Avengers. Um, for Cabal, stuff like Modoc, um, Loki, Enchantress. You know, those Sin. characters that sin um characters like that to kind of fill out those gaps to focus on one of the affiliations in the box because it comes with two primaries and then some splash characters and others uh really helps because you're you're the core box is fine but it's not exactly a competitive list there's a good character there's good characters in there but it's not a coherent list all on its own yeah, I'd, I'd also recommend uh, checking out Roster Doctor's articles on acrossthebyfrost.com. Uh, he has some articles called the Three Box Challenge, and basically it's taking the core box and then taking three character expansion packs outside of that and trying to build the, the most coherent roster you can. And generally you can get something that's fairly competitive um and pretty decent bang for your buck so you're coming out probably like 220 to 260 bucks depending on which boxes you buy um and it and it works really well um and it's it's a good uh starting point to start getting into the game start building a roster and you can do it with i think probably every affiliation i would say um some in that format will be better than others naturally, but still like it's a, it's a good way to get into it and start 
getting familiar with characters that that you really like um because at the end of the day like i think getting into this game just just play characters you like play affiliations you like you think are cool and uh and then go from there and start building your collection and hopefully you have some locals who can let you borrow stuff too if you want to try experimenting yeah, and one of the interesting things about this game, as opposed to other miniatures games, is like, in other miniatures games, when you have factions, you know, all of your models probably have to be that faction. Like when I played War Machine, if I played Convergence of Cirrus, I had to play all Convergence of Cirrus models. Sometimes you could get models that could play for multiple factions, like mercenaries. Like you're, you could hire mercenaries, and they would work for you, and they would be outside of your faction. Um but for the most part, it was what's in your faction in this game, the way affiliations work, because it's not, well, I'm playing cabal. So I have to bring all cabal models. It's I'm playing cabal. So when I build my squad over half of them have to be affiliated with cabal and the others can be anything. So, uh, there's a lot more diversity in what you can bring to the table. You can just like, you could literally just say, if I want to play Avengers, I can bring Steve Rogers, Iron Man, Black Widow, and then two of any other character you want. Thanos, uh, Red Skull, uh, Magneto. uh, And it all works uh, because of the way how open list building in this game is. Um, So there's this very open ended what you can do. But at the beginning, definitely. uh, That's what makes the, the core box so good is because there's no wasted models in the core box. If you decide you want to play Avengers, you can still use some of those cabal characters to fill out your roster. Um, and that's what makes this game so interesting is you, you can just kind of do anything you want. Yep. Want to have Magneto teaming up with the web warriors? You can do it. It's you can. Great. It, it might be pretty good. Or uh, spoiler alert, if you want to have Captain Sam teaming up with uh, uh, Magneto, more on that at a later date. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. All right, I think uh, we've babbled enough, my friend. Um, is there any closing thoughts you've got? Uh, I think for the end game, I'm just going to say have fun. Play the game, enjoy what you like playing, and uh, try to make some friends while you play. It's a great way to just bond over doing nerdy stuff with people. Yeah, I think my end game is going to be similar, but it's going to be go eat some cool food. Because I like food. Don't be afraid to go try something new when you when you mm. travel to an event. Yeah, if you uh, if you find yourself at NashCon this year, join us for Party Foul because it's going to be magical. Yes. Oh man, I was about to say uh, hot chicken and bidets, but that's a totally different thing than a. Uh, it actually is. It's totally hot chicken and beignets. <laughs> yes. I mean, you might need a bidet after the hot chicken. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, we're going to go ahead and sign out on that note because that took me for a loop. Uh, Next week, we probably will have an affiliation breakdown. Or not. Maybe we'll talk about something else because Kenny has totally messed with my mind with that statement. Uh, And until then, keep on gaming.